When it comes to the subject of rest, um, people have different ideas about that. There's certain folks you can uh, go on vacation with because their idea of relaxation and your idea is the same. There's other people that you can't. For example, um, relaxing and recharging uh, to one person sounds exhausting to another. Like an amusement park. So for some people, they're like, this is fantastic. Lots of people, lots of action, lots of things to do, lots of sights and sounds and all. That's, that is a great day away. And then the next person hears that and says, that's, that's the opposite of rest. That's exhausting. And then that one person will say, well, how about a day on a beach in the sun? You do nothing. You bring a book, cold drink. You just sit there for 10 hours. And they say, yes, that's the definition of rest. And this person says, that's the most mind-numbingly boring thing I've ever heard, and I have no desire to do that whatsoever. Everyone has different ideas around rest. Um, Some people, when they go on vacation, they want, you know, a a general vacation schedule. Some people want no vacation schedule. Uh, Some people prefer time maximizing to the hour, see as much as possible, maximize your money. Schedules, they call that fun, right? There's everything in between. I was once led through uh, Universal Studios at the speed of sound by a person who defined fun that way. And if it wasn't for the photo evidence that I was actually there, I wouldn't believe that I ever went. Uh, that's how fast we moved through you know, that, that park. That was their idea of, of rest. Anyways, we've got different ideas about this. And our text for this morning is Mark chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. And in Mark chapter 2 and into 3, this is a text about rest. And what we find is that how Jesus understood the rest of God and how the religious leaders understood the rest of God couldn't have been more diametrically opposed. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry and he arose with those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat but the priests. And then he also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. And grieved and angry at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. Now, you know what's interesting is that you can read through the Gospels And you will never find a story where Jesus commends the religious leaders. 
for how they apply God's law. You're never going to find a passage where Jesus says, well done, you have represented God's heart. Instead, over and over and over and over, you find Jesus condemning the religious leaders for misapplying God's law and misrepresenting God's heart. Now, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, when God's law was first given, where where this law about keeping the Sabbath, the day of rest, is first given, if you go back to examine the context and you read Exodus 20, it does not say, if you keep this, I'll save you from Egypt. The text says, I am the God who saved you from Egypt. In other words, God did not save the children of Israel because they kept the law. God saved them before the law. God saved them apart from the law. God saved them in grace. God has always saved in grace. So kids, if you look down at your notes, you're going to find this. God's law was given to show us our need for God's grace and then to guide us into a life of flourishing after he saves us by his grace. Okay, now the religious leaders, they misapplied God's law. They misrepresented God's heart because they could not grasp God's grace. They never understood it. So it wasn't in their framework for understanding the purpose of law. And because that's what's going on in this passage. According to the religious leaders, Jesus' actions mean he's not entering God's rest. That's the whole point of this passage. Religious leaders are looking right at him and they're going, we understand the law and you're not keeping the law. You're not entering God's rest. But according to Jesus, the religious leaders don't even understand the meaning of God's rest. That's how this plays out. The Pharisees, they took the fourth commandment. What did they do? Why are they complaining about this whole grain plucking situation? The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Right? The word holy means to set it apart, specific purpose, don't treat it like every other day. Holy means it's not common. The law says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Set it apart, and the word holy also means weighty, gravity. There's weight, weightiness to it. Set it apart. So the rest of God is a big deal. That's what the law says. You know what the Pharisees did was they said, okay, well, how do we apply that, though? I mean, what does that look day to day in your life? So what the Pharisees did... <clears throat> was they tried to narrow it down and clearly define it. So they studied the book of Exodus, and they found all the passages in Scripture that described how they built the temple. And they took all of those actions, and they found a common thread. And they said, here's all the actions that seem to be creating. Here's all the actions that seem to be taking dominion over your environment. And they took all those Scripture passages, and they came up with 39 articles. They came up with 39 actions that you could not do on the Sabbath. Not 29, not 49, not 59, not 99, 39. They studied the text. They didn't just make these laws up out of thin air. They looked at the scriptures and they said, we think, based on our study of the law, and they were, they were experts in the law, okay, by the time a little boy was 10, he had memorized the Torah. If he moved on from, you know, from, uh, you know, the book of the law, book of the law to the, the book of learning, right? So they came up with 39 ways to keep the Sabbath. And... They said that this is, this is how, uh, if you stay away from these 39 activities, then you're keeping the Sabbath. And that book is called the Mishnah Tractate Shabbat. Okay? So you can, you can find this ancient document. You can look at it. It it's a, it's a, defines these 39 actions. So they looked at Jesus and said, hey, we're plucking some grain. And that is a Mishnah Tractate Shabbat. No, no. It's okay, you can laugh out loud. Apparently some of you guys come to churches where you have to like hold in your laughter. 
What does it matter with you people? Just laugh. Okay, so this is what, this is what happened. And so they're like, or, or I'm sorry, I apologize. That was pretty harsh. Maybe your Mishnah Tabet Shabbat from where you came from was like, don't laugh out loud in church. And that's one of the ways to keep this out. It's okay, you can laugh out loud. So anyways, they're plucking, they're plucking the grain. Jesus has no problem with this. But why? Why doesn't Jesus have a problem with it? They got their application from the scriptures. Right? They're not, that's where they got this from. So why does Jesus have a problem with this? See, the problem is that in the, in, the, in the religious mind and heart of the self-righteous, the way you prove to God and prove to everybody else and prove to yourself that you're good is by keeping those 39 articles. Jesus was interested in something that went far deeper than abstaining from activity. They're obsessed with activity or inactivity. Jesus says, I'm interested in what's underneath the activity. And that's where this text goes. I'll show you. So the Pharisees, they appeared to be very inactive on the outside. They appeared to be very restful on the outside, but they were incredibly active on the inside, and they were incredibly, un, they were incredibly restless on the inside. Everything that they did was working, working to impress, striving to earn, seeking to justify. Underneath the 39 activities that they were to abstain from, they, they were working. They were hard at work. And so, maybe think about it this way. Have you ever woke up tired? Right? That's why we have a phrase that we use in our culture saying, how was your sleep? Right? If there was only one kind of sleep, that question wouldn't exist. Right? Because we all know how we slept. Fantastic. But the thing is, we don't all sleep fantastic. So we have this conversation. How was your sleep? How did you sleep? Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's shallow. I tossed and turned all night. Sometimes it's deep. Right? This is the thing with, with rest, is that it's not all the same. The Pharisees had an idea of rest. It is not rest. You know, you can have very shallow sleep. I asked Nigel if I could tell the story, because I, I, I didn't want to embarrass him and everything. He said he's cool. But, you know, and sometimes Nigel has very shallow sleep. You can walk by his room at night, and you'll hear him in there. He's growling away. He's imagining something. He's moving around. Sometimes he makes noises. One time, I don't know, there was a big battle going on. We walked by his room and we heard... <laughs> when he was a little boy, one time him and Isaiah went to, went, to, uh, went to bed when we were on holidays. It was late at night. The last thing they did before they went to bed was they read a Spider-Man comic, fall asleep in the bed. They're sharing a bed. Nigel, or Isaiah says to Nigel, Nigel, you've got to move over. And Nigel gets up in his sleep and he goes... <laughs> strikes a big Spider-Man pose and then he plops down. See, that's not deep sleep when you're doing that stuff. There's more than one kind of rest and the Pharisees have the wrong kind of rest. It's restless. There's a lot of stuff going on underneath their quote-unquote inactivity and Sabbath keeping. You see, the work of curating our identity through people and position or the accumulation of things, it's endless, it's tireless. The thing that makes the soul truly weary is not the work of our vocations. It's what's underneath it. It's the restless work of self-justification. It is underneath just going to work or going to school. Underneath it, it is, the, it is the battle that the human soul is constantly in by garnering a sense of identity through what it is that we're doing. And that is the rest that we need rest from. The need to prove something to ourselves and to others. What were the Pharisees doing? Precisely that. They were proving 
Their whole way of keeping the Sabbath was about proving. That's why Jesus had nothing good to say about it. If you asked any, somebody in the ancient world, who's keeping the law? They'd be like the Pharisees. Who, who understands laws, God's law the best? The Pharisees. Who is the one who's keeping the Sabbath the best? The Pharisees. Then Jesus shows up and he's like, you're not even close. You see, it's not, it's not the grades. It's what the grades are telling us who we are. It's not making the team. It's what having the jacket says about who we are. It's not the school that we get into. It's being able to say, I go to this school, that what it says about who we are. It's not the promotion or the career or the bank account balance or, or uh, the business that you're building. It's about what, it's the battle of what those things tell you about yourself that we need the rest from. It's not the self-care and going to the gym and the exercise and the eating, right? It's, it's what, if we could just be a beautiful person because we live in a culture of beauty, what would that say about who we are? It's all of these things that we want them to give us a name. Give me a name. Tell me who I am. And God says, you already have a name. I've named you. You're mine. You're my child. You need to stop from all of this rest. See, the great irony, the sad irony of the Pharisees putting stacks and stacks of stipulations on how to keep the Sabbath was that as they checked all their religious boxes, they weren't doing any of it to rest in God's goodness. They were doing all of it to prove their own goodness to God themselves and everybody else. They thought they weren't working. Jesus goes, you're working overtime. And so when you read through the Gospels, you get pretty used to the Pharisees getting angry. That happens all the time. You're reading through the Gospels, it's almost on every page, right? They're just mad at Jesus all the time. But there's only a few examples of when Jesus gets mad, and one of them is here in verse 5, and that should catch your eye. Because every time Jesus gets angry, angry, that should be interesting to us. The Lord of grace who's come to save us in grace, but then he gets mad. What's that about? What can we learn from the Lord of grace who gets, who gets angry and gets grieved, the text says. Well, in verse 5, he's angry because the Sabbath, given for the purpose of enjoying rest in God, so that in his presence you feel your burdens coming off, being around the religious leaders, you feel burdens coming on. He's mad. The text says Jesus is angry. Because the opposite thing is happening. I have given you rest. I have graciously commanded you to do something that in and of yourself you're not going to do. This thing called stopping. I'm giving this to you for the gracious purpose of doing something deep and rich in your soul beyond anything you are able to do yourself. I'm giving this to you. I want to take burdens off of you. And the religious Pharisees are there saying, here's 39 ways that we're going to put burdens on you. And trust me, people felt worse and more burdened. That's what the text says as you read through the Gospels. People are more burdened after going to church than they were when they got there. Because of the earning that is underneath all of this inactivity. And so, Jesus gets angry. <clears throat> and uh, the fourth commandment, the commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is a command to cease from all of your work. It's for restoring us because we get depleted. It's for replenishing us, because we get drained. It's for renewing us, because we get worn down. And so, in a profound, unforgettable picture of what the Sabbath rest actually is, Jesus heals a withered hand. Do you see where this is going? 
He gets so mad at how they don't keep the Sabbath, he's like, okay. And in comes this guy with the withered hand, and Jesus is like, we're going to do an object lesson of what Sabbath rest actually is. And he heals the withered hand. To restore what has become withered is the purpose of Sabbath rest. The Sabbath day is not for demonstrating our goodness before God. Jesus heals the withered hand, demonstrating the Sabbath is for being revived by the goodness of God. And at the end of the passage, you get this unlikely team-up. The Pharisees and the Herodians. Hey, guys, let's be pals. That's really weird. Here's a little history lesson for you. The Pharisees and the Herodians should not be working together because they don't agree on anything. Because the Herodians were set up by Rome. Rome was a totalitarian regime. They're in charge of everything. Rome sets up Herod. Roman's like, hey, Herod, come here. Herod's a puppet, okay? He's a puppet for Rome. And all of the leaders that are with Herod are puppets of Rome, the Herodians. What does the Pharisees have in common with Rome? Nothing. Why should they get together and work together? They should not. There is nothing about this that makes any sense. The Pharisees were all about traditional conformity. The Herodians were about self-discovery. So let's just think, let's think about this for a second. Because they brought with them all of the Greek philosophy, the Greco-Roman world steeped in Greek philosophy. They were all about self-discovery. The Pharisees are the opposite of self-discovery. They're like, no, 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 traditional conformity. Pharisees were legalists, the Herodians are progressives. But they all agree on one thing. Jesus is not our king. So in here we have in this partnership two different ways you can run away from God's grace. Two different ways you can run away from the grace of the Sabbath. You can be legalist or you can be lawless. The legalists They are, they, everything that they are doing on the Sabbath is for earning acceptance from God. But the lawless, they're not gathering on the Sabbath to worship God because they have no, they have no need of God. They're, they have a total indifference to God. And they're both, the, they're both two sides of the same gospel erasing coin. And so, when Christians fall into legalism, we reject the grace and the rest of God by relating to worship like it is a series of acceptance-earning rituals. But when Christians fall into lawlessness, we reject the grace of God and the rest of God by relating to worship like it's optional. If it's just a ritual or it's optional, it's the same problem. If you're yelling, grace, grace, grace is amazing. It's like peanut butter. Spread out on everything. I'll come to church once a year. Friends, what are you doing? That's not, that's not restful. You say, ah, now I knew it. I knew it. Paul's been preaching the grace of Christ for four years and the, and the t- egg timer went off. And now he's going to crush us with the law. And the rest of the sermon is going to be the KW Redeemer Mishnah Tractate Sabbat of the 39 ways that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath at Redeemer. You're dead wrong. That's not how the sermon concludes. Because the problem, that is not the problem. Underneath it is the rest. You see, if we are legalists, we're like, hey, let's just prove to God and everybody else we're great about how we keep Sunday and rest on Sunday. And if we're lawless, we're like, nah, maybe I'll grace God with my presence on Sunday. But when our hearts are gripped by grace, we're like, it's oxygen. I need, to, I need a rest for my soul that I will not get anywhere else except for what God has given, which is that we gather on Sunday to revel and marvel in him and in his grace. If through the singing of his praises, as the gospel is sung into our hearts, as the word of God is read over us as we sit in the goodness of the presence of Jesus, as we eat and we drink, the gift that Jesus gives to goes, just close your mouth 
and let me fill it. Just stop everything you're doing and let me do it. For those of you who are new to Redeemer, if you look at the, at the liturgy, you'll see as we flow through our worship service, God is the one doing all the action. God calls us. God cleanses us. God communes with us. God commissions us. We're on the receiving end of all the action. Sabbath rest. As we glory in the good, new, the good news of our Savior. And so we were created by God, for God, to find deep soul-level satisfaction in the rest of God. And so I want you to notice how Jesus dismantles the legalism. It's important. How does Jesus dismantle the legalism? What does he point to? He doesn't point to their 39 ways and say, you, you know what? The way that you tried to apply the scriptures in Exodus and the building of the temple and the way you exegeted all of that and came up with these 39 ways, that's wrong. So I'm going to point to 39 different ways. What does he point to? He doesn't, he has, he doesn't, he doesn't contest the 39 things that they've chosen to do. To, he doesn't contest it. He doesn't point at it. And he doesn't point to something new. What does he point to? He points to himself. See, that's how this text plays out. When you look at verses 20, 27 and 28, Jesus goes, you don't understand where the rest is. You don't understand what the depth of what your soul needs and where you're supposed to turn to find that. You think you're going to find it in observing the Sabbath these ways? Or you think if you change that and start changing your Sunday and start observing it these? Jesus is pointing to himself. Watch how powerful this is. He doesn't point to a better list of ways to rest. He says, I am the rest. Verse 27 and 28, he says, Sabbath was not, I'm sorry, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And Jesus goes on in verse 28 and he says, he says, and so the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Sabbath means the deep rest in peace. Sabbath means state of wholeness holistic flourishing in your being. Jesus points to himself. I am the source of holistic flourishing in your being. It's me. You can go anywhere else and turn to anything else and your soul will just keep spinning. It will not rest. It does not matter what you turn to, what you try to find your rest in. He says, I am it. When he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, in verse 28, Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. When he says Lord of the Sabbath, he's not saying, I'm in charge of the day of rest. He's saying, I'm the rest. That's how the language plays out. I'm it. And so if you examine the Ten Commandments, all ten, including where this fourth one is, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If you examine the Ten Commandments, you're going to find a common thread. And the common thread is that God's law takes us out of ourselves so we don't live absorbed with ourselves. All ten. You can go through all ten commandments and they all take you out of yourself so you're not absorbed with yourself. So if the law of God says, set apart a day to rest, and the Son of God says, I am the rest, then to gather and worship him is not some, so much something that we gather to do, so much as it's something that God calls us to gather so that he can do something in you. The law says rest. Jesus says I'm the rest. 
So gather. The Pharisees are like, oh, okay, well then we'll gather and we'll make sure that we do all the right stuff and we'll pull the right levers and we'll push the right buttons and we'll make sure everybody knows how we're keeping the Sabbath. Because after all, when you make sure everybody else in the church knows how your family keeps the Sabbath, oh, you're right, that's how you keep the Sabbath, right? No. That's how, that's how you become a Pharisee. He says, it's me. This is why we gather. See, it reorients why we gather for worship in the first place. I want you to consider the very first time the Bible even mentions rest. Where does this law come from? Right, some of you, many of you, most, I mean, so many of us have church horror stories, right, where it's like, you know, you, you, the, the, you gather and then everybody thinks you're good. You don't gather and everybody thinks you're bad. You're not in church for a while and then you feel guilty and you're like, well, I can't come back because, then, and it's like this big spiral, right, where it's all me and me and me and what does everybody think about me? That's what happens to us, right? We can create these cultures of comparison. Some of you, even as I preach the sermon, you're like, oh man, should I feel guilty right now? Whatever. It's about rest. God's not angry with you. I'm not angry with you. I'm yelling because I'm Italian. Okay, don't worry about it. I yell about everything. I'm happy. But the thing, <laughs> but the thing is, when you think about the first time the Bible mentions rest, it's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2. And in Genesis 2, 2, it says, on the seventh day, everything was finished. Does that remind you of anything? It is finished. And God rested. It's the first time we get it, Genesis 2, 2. God resting on the seventh day was never intended to conjure an image of God being stationary. It's inviting you to imagine that God is satisfied. There's a tremendous difference between stationary and satisfied. Sabbath rest is not about being stationary. It's about where we turn to be satisfied. The religious leaders were obsessed over being stationary. And Jesus was saying, I want to get underneath that. I want to know where you're turning to be satisfied. And that's why the religious person, the self-righteous legalist and the lawless person make the same error. If gathering on Sunday is all about you know, being, station, being stationary and proving to everybody how good you are, you're not satisfied. And if you go, ah, if it's not, you know, if my hair doesn't need to be washed, maybe I'll go to church, you're not going to be satisfied. Because the condition of your, your soul is that you're a worshiper, which means you are turning somewhere. And Jesus is like, I'm the source. You can only come to me. It's all about being satisfied. God's work was so perfect and so complete, he stopped to enjoy everything and rest in satisfaction. But nothing in our life is perfect. Nothing in our life is complete. And we will never stop. So God commands us to stop so we can turn to him, the source of our rest and satisfaction. It's only in the rest of God that our soul will be free to enjoy all things without inevitably you know, elevating some small thing, centering our life around that thing making it the ultimate thing, worshiping it like it's the ultimate thing. That's the condition of the natural condition of the human soul. And so when Jesus claims to be God in verse 28, claims to be the, the source of rest, that's a pretty shocking statement. Hey, Pharisees, I mean, do you see how he's just, why they want to kill him? If you're here, if you're here today and, you're, and your faith is not yet in Christ and you haven't been baptized and you're curious about Christian faith and maybe you're exploring and wondering that they did not crucify Jesus because he was a nice guy. They didn't crucify Jesus because he went around doing nice things, you know. They crucified him because he kept saying things like this. He's like, crown me or kill me. 
Those are your options. I'm the source of the rest. So what does that mean? I mean, what does that claim mean for you and I? What does it mean for our children? If Jesus says, I'm the source of rest, well, it means either Jesus is a lunatic, and we don't actually need his rest, and we don't need to worship him, and we don't really need to listen to anything that he says, because he's a total lunatic. Or he's the Lord. And if he is the Lord, then rest is found in revolving our life around him. And so this is how we relate to the rest of the Lord's day. God commands us to make worship a priority and commands us to raise our children in such a way that they'll make worship a priority. Not because God is a narcissist who needs it. Not because you need to prove that you're a good little Christian through it. But because God is a wise and loving father who knows your soul needs it. And many of you in here have adult children and they're not worshiping Christ. Their life is not revolving around Christ today. Here's the good news of the gospel. How do you think you got here? His grace. Why do you think you're sitting here this morning? Because you did something great and figured it out? What, are you kidding me? You have a short memory. Think about your life. Think about the things you've thought and done. Why are any of us here? Why am I preaching this morning? <laughs> what? We are here by the grace of God, enjoying his great rest. So for all of your children who are not at the moment revolving their life around his rest, good news. Oh, it's such good news, parent, if that's you and your parent. Listen, here's the good news. There's a savior. It isn't you. You pray for your kids. You pray that the same grace that has brought you to where you are into this tremendous rest, that they would find that rest. He is able to do it, mighty to save. This is our God. And this is the good news of the gospel for you and for your children. For those of you who have children who have been baptized into Christ and they profess Christ, but today their life doesn't revolve around Christ, what does that all mean? This great God of grace, this great God of grace, he's rest, he's pretty serious about his grace and his rest. And he will chase your children down. He will hunt them down. As some theologians have called him, the hound of heaven. Just haunting us down in his great grace. This is what he will do for you and for your children. And so you rest in this good news. You see, in worship, Jesus heals our withered souls. Just like he healed that man's withered hand. All the stress and anxiety and weariness that comes from life challenges, they just it all melts like snow on a sunny day. As God gives you rest and satisfaction, reminding you you're his child, reminding you your life is in his hands, reminding you over and over, week in and week out as we gather, that your acceptance before him is not something that you tirelessly achieve like everything else in your life. It's something you rest in, you graciously receive. Jesus Christ, the Lord of rest, he gives you rest that's deep, it's not shallow. Rest that's strong, keeping you steadfast like an anchor. It's not a volatile rest that like dangles like a dandelion seed on the fragility of circumstance. The moment adversity blows, all the rest is gone. This rest that God is offering you, deep and rich, irrespective of circumstance. When God rested, when your God rested, he wasn't tired, he was satisfied. And he created you for life with him, which is the only way your soul will be satisfied. And in the end of God's great act of creation, he said it's good because it was finished so he could rest. And on the cross, in his great act of redemption, Jesus said, it's finished. 
and now you can rest. Let's pray.